Managing Marketing, a weekly podcast where we discuss the issues and opportunities facing media, marketing and advertising with industry thought leaders and practitioners. Today I'm sitting down with Stephen Wright, Global Media Lead at Trinity P3 Marketing Management Consultants. Welcome Stephen. Good day Darren. Well I should say actually welcome back isn't it because this is you've returned to Trinity P3 after another sojourn back into the industry. You tempted me back in Darren and I couldn't resist. Well, I actually like the fact, you know, because I think we've worked together since, what was it, around 2005, the Telstra Oh, my God, 2005, 15 years ago. But it's not been continuous because you've had a couple of, uh, you went back to work in an agency running their new business for a while, very successfully. New business at Starcom for a few years and then back more recently into programmatic, which was a really interesting foray into the cutting edge of media. Well, look, and that's what I'd love to talk to you about today because you'd have to say that programmatic has, you know, promises a huge opportunity for marketers, advertisers, um, in the form of being able to automate and manage the huge fragmentation of the media market, doesn't it? Yeah, uh, look. Um, and that's the reason I went back in. It, it, it was an incredibly exciting opportunity when programmatic appeared. Um, and all of the theory of programmatic provides a, a magnificent new opportunity to cost efficiently target and reach your audience. Um, and and it, it, it's delivered in that. But in Australia, it has been held back. And, there, and it took me a while to work out. I was working in the industry while all this was happening. And there were a sort of set of circumstances and factors that came together um, that I think thwarted the growth um, of programmatic in Australia. And I, no, I just want to stop you there. You're right, though, um, from the point of view that programmatic has not been embraced as much in the Australian market as it has in other markets. I mean, when we look at the percentage of money going into programmatic in, in like the UK, the Europe and, and the USA as part of a, a total digital media spend, it's actually relatively small here in Australia compared to those other markets. It is. It should. I mean, there is one factor which will hold it back a bit, which is our geography. But even putting that aside and taking that into account, it hasn't got the level of penetration that it should when compared to those very similar markets. And a lot of that was to do with the way um, it, it came together in the early stages. And I've sort of grouped together the reasons why it's stalled a bit and hasn't grown as, as um, quickly as it should into three areas. The first one I would say um, was um, a sort of indulgence in digital expertise and digital language. In the early stages, I mean... Media's always been a bit of a black art. Now, marketing people understood media a lot better and then digital was the black art and they understood digital better. And then programmatic has taken the acronyms and the language to a new level for marketers. What do you think, apart from the technology, because programmatic is very heavy tech, isn't it? It's, it's, you know, it's the sort of propeller head 
type nerdy person <laughs> that uh, was attracted to it. And a lot of them did come from technology more than they came from media, didn't they? And that, and that was a part of the problem in the early days. There weren't enough translators and salesmen to break it down into everyday terms that marketers understood. And a lot of marketers were almost too afraid to put their hand up and sort of stop people continually to get an explanation. So they burned a lot of marketers in the early stages just by indulging in the, ex in, in the language and trying to make it seem almost more complicated or certainly as complicated as it is, indulging in the high-end digitalness of it. I mean, I know myself uh, when, you know, the, the conversation turns to programmatic, I can follow at a certain level and then it gets down into this murky sort of techno babble, I call it, <laughs> where suddenly, as you say, three-letter acronyms are getting thrown around and, you know, numbers, huge numbers or very small numbers. You know, there's, it's so quick to get lost. And I can imagine, you know, that's for me who has spent, you know, quite a bit of time trying to get a handle on it. I can only imagine for a lot of marketers it's just completely baffling. It, it was, and a, a lot of them started to shy away. And then the second factor in terms of what has stalled it um, sort of kicked in and compounded that problem, and that is that um, suddenly there was this fantastic new opportunity for everyone to make money. So there was this sort of, I call it the gold rush bandwagon, where digital companies sprung up everywhere and everyone was peddling their wares now to salespeople, me, 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 I've got the latest product. And so those marketers who were trying to understand the area were, were absolutely bombarded with a million and one new products and systems from every man and his dog, all saying they had the answer um, to, to and the solution for the client. So, you know, clients were just completely bamboozled by all of this. Because uh, the Lunarscapes are a great visual demonstration of that, aren't they? You know, And I remember how people used to joke about how many little logos could they possibly stick into one chart. But programmatic, before you talk about ad tech, martech, programmatic was already like lots of little ants all over the place into these seemingly boxed off areas of you know the advertiser on one side and the publisher on the other. And uh, it felt like if you drew the connecting lines, there'd be you know ten or twenty different companies all uh, with their finger in the till. Yeah, it's even now the market's thinned out a bit. Now, even now, you look at the latest Lunarscape; it's still mind-boggling the number of companies and logos and different opportunities and entities and subdivisions of products that are on there. So, look, it it so that was the second thing that compounded the problem, and then the third issue. Um, that kicked in was what I call the uh, subterranean river of gold. Um, and this was where um, I think most agencies will admit with hindsight, um, they didn't help the cause for programmatic. Um, and this is where a series of things came together. Agencies um, obviously were aware of the fact that marketers and clients were, weren't particularly savvy on the whole programmatic area. Um, it was an area that was under the radar with regard to remuneration. It was incredibly confusing, the pricing, the commissions, the fees, ad tech fees, commission service fees. Um, and agencies saw an opportunity to actually make um, some significant margins on this new area 
through a lack of understanding by clients. And in fairness to them, um, there was a, a, a reason, a legitimate reason why they did it. At the same time as programmatic kind of was born and became a new entity, um, there was an awful lot of pressure in pitches from procurement on the transparent remuneration terms. And so agencies were lo looking at these transparent re remuneration terms of having to participate in a race to the bottom and saying, okay, well, if I'm going to have to play that game and basically do things non-profitably those, in those transparent terms, for those transparent terms, I'm going to look to make some money over here and help recoup a level of money that makes business profitable. Okay, so just let me get it right. So the, the three things that have been <laughs> holding back programmatic. The first one is this huge uh, technology uh, language problem, the more almost impenetrable way of understanding what's actually going on. And the lack of translators. And the lack of translators. The second one is the complexity of the number of people that are playing in this space and all seem to be needed. And, and there's, yeah, we'll talk about it some more, but there seems to be more things coming in all the time, you know, with people verifying what everyone else is doing. It's almost like uh, paying a watcher to watch the watcher who's watching the watcher who's actually watching the person buying the media. And then the third one is this whole issue around, you know, less than transparent ways of making money that the agency saw in the early days as a quick win for them in the face of being constantly squeezed on their fees. Yeah. So that's pretty much it. Those, I think you can summarise all of the, the early issues with programmatic into those three camps. And it was a combination of those things that meant that programmatic hasn't here quite got the, the share of revenue that it has. Okay, so let's now go back over those three and let's talk about some of the things that have either improved or are needed to improve where we are with programmatic, okay? And let's start off with the uh, the techno, I'll call it the techno babble. You had a much nicer uh, uh, term. What was it? Um, the uh, indulgence in expertise. The indulgence of expertise. <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I just know that uh, whenever I start talking with someone about uh, programmatic, it, it can go down that rabbit hole very quickly yeah. of, of language and and. Uh, you know, processes and technology. Look, in that whole area, th things are a lot better now. Um, obviously, the tech companies now have people who talk everyday language, understand how to pitch and articulate propositions to marketers. And um, so, you know, marketers are very much more comfortable in dealing with the ad tech providers and the sellers. In a sense, at times, they've become a little too comfortable. Um, some of those guys, and we won't name any particular companies, have become so proficient and professional at selling their products that before they know it, advertisers have signed up to quite expensive products um, on, on some rather cagey promises about the level of simplification to implement and use those products um, and, and have got quite expensive vehicles in the garage that they haven't got the uh, capability or licensed to drive. Mm. Um, so I think almost, you know, the tech companies have almost done too good a job in some instances. I'm sure that's true for the salespeople, Stephen, but I'm not sure it's actually true for the people using these technologies in the um, 
in in agencies and and in uh, in the ad tech companies. Because I, I have to tell you, every time I see or, or meet with a group of the techies, let's call them, they only talk their own language. And when you talk to agency people that are often interfacing with a client and you bring up something about programmatic, they go, well, I have to go and talk to the techies and get back to you. I think there's still quite a significant barrier between the technology group and the marketers. Yeah. You know, I'm not sure there's as many translators, you called them, as we'd like or that we need. Look, I, I, and I think you can you can put the clients into sort of possibly three different camps. There's one camp, which is probably very small now, who really haven't embraced that high end of digital at all. Um, in the middle, there are those that have embraced it and they've started to get tech specialists on board. So they've actually got people within their own ranks who can talk it. And then there's those who have fully embraced it and either got um, teams that run things in-house or work in a hybrid way with agency teams to deliver a high-end performance media product. And that's an important point because I... I agree with you that the marketers that are focusing more on high-performance media or performance media are the ones that have embraced the technology and almost learnt the language or enough of the language that they you know, that they can converse in that space. What worries me is that that's a relatively small group in the whole marketplace and that there's a large group of marketers that are missing out on the potential opportunities here because it's still in the too hard basket. That the language and the lack of uh, translators being able to communicate in simpler, plain English terms of what the benefits actually are means that there's still the vast majority of marketers in this market that are you know, turning their backs or, or stepping away from programmatic. Yeah, look, if in these three camps, if you look at the middle camp, which is those that have begun to embrace it, got people on board, um, there's an awful lot of clients so in that want to go to the next level of delivering a high-performance media product, but when they look at it, are frustrated by their capacity to do that. And that, as much as anything else, is about the quality of the data they have internally within their organisation. Because very often what they suddenly realise is that there is a massive project to organise their own company data, to be able to put that data into in the, the marketing area, into the marketing area and the advertising area in a way which reflects um, very specific audiences and can track opportunity. So um, there's a lot of companies who are, are in this quite slow and awkward transition to being able to do what they know they want to do because of their own sort of quite significant internal problems and issues. and and. Very often when these things are looked at, it, you're talking about seven-figure sums mm. to align data internally across sales, um, customer service and marketing to have single data sources that are fully integrated where everyone's using and talking um, and working with the same data. Yeah, so really robust first-party yeah. customer data. And, and I think a lot of companies underestimate how long and how much that would take to do in a proper way. And this is where you need um, CEO and C-suite involvement and buy-in 
be able to make these things happen. Of course, that's a much more bigger enterprise decision than just a marketing decision yeah. to actually move to that. It is a big issue, isn't it? The language and the, the ability to actually navigate because it's also holding programmatic back from a, in a number of other areas. And one of them is, you know, we mentioned uh, performance media. And when you talk to marketers, they'll often think of programmatic as either performance media or they'll think of it as a way of delivering uh, cheap CPMs because, you know, you can buy lots of impressions, millions of impressions at a relatively low cost. Or they'll think of it as, you know, just for sort of tactical and not for brand building. And yet, in actual fact, programmatic can do, you know, more than all those things. It can actually deliver high quality inventory and environments. It can actually, uh, you pay for that high quality uh, environment and yeah. impression. And also it can be used for brand building. And the other thing is it's not just going to, it's not just display ads and video. It's going to be, you know, television, digital out of home. You know, soon all media channels will have some sort of programmatic ability, won't they? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, already it's quite significant in, in outdoor. Um, the programmatic opportunities are growing every month. Um, so I think that probably the biggest issue with delivering against all of those quite sort of broad potential objectives that programmatic can deliver is the quality of the information going in because mm. there is still there are a lot of companies that are using these new areas that are still putting in quite basic um, target audience data and information that actually isn't based on their their the deep customer experience or knowledge because that's part of another system part of a different data system. Mm. Um, has privacy issues around it. So there's a lot of people using uh, quite sophisticated um, areas of programmatic, but putting in quite blunt audience information to try and extract value from it. So um, there's a little bit of a mismatch with what a lot of people are doing. And those are part of those, those are the clients that are in that middle group who I think are sort of frustrated by wanting to do more, um, but not able to do more at this point in time. So let's go to the second point you made, which is about the gold rush and all the all the you know different uh, tech companies that have, you know rushed into programmatic and sort of made their land claims of the various stages. Um, you, you briefly mentioned that there's some sort of consolidation or rationalisation happening. Yeah, it's interesting. About three years ago, I went to a programmatic conference, and uh, I think it was AppNexus stood up and they said, you know, part of this problem with the fact that only 39 cents in the dollar is, um, you know, being used and goes back to the um, the media provider is all of these middlemen that have got involved. Um, and they said, we as an industry need to uh, sort of ensure that those middlemen are made accountable and that they have, that they add value. Now, Atnex has been one of the large players um, that was very much in their interest. It was an element of self-interest with that. Um, but I think that, the the whole PR around the fact that so such a small proportion of money actually came back to the media provider um, meant that there was an increasing focus on what people did. And it has thinned out enormously. A lot of people simply have fallen by the wayside because they didn't get their product to work because their product didn't deliver anything. And in time, they got found out as much by other tech providers on whom they became reliant um, as um, as by marketers or advertising agency people realising. 
Um, so it has thinned out, and there are more roles, but there are everyone within those sort of sub-roles within the programmatic uh, chain um, has to be more accountable and deliver some form of benefit now to survive. Yeah, except that, you know, you're constantly hearing about there's a new company with a new platform or a new application that's going to, you know, uh, help you eliminate uh, brand, uh, say, you know, help you eliminate uh, risk to your brand, you know, by verifying the uh, the environment that your ad's going to appear in. And then there's someone else has come along that's come up with a way of, uh, you know, eliminating, uh, detecting ad fraud. Yeah, there's all. There's always for every problem there seems to be a new solution that's come along, which is another person largely that's putting their uh, fingers in the till. Yeah, and, and I think a lot of these become more and more uh, addressing sub segments of programmatic. Um, you know, you are in this category and you need to find the exact exactly the right SSPs for your category that are going to work hardest for you. So we've got this. Um, tool or engine that helps find yeah. and identify those for you. So look, there's a there's a, a lot of there's people constantly looking at what else they can add into the system to make a dollar from. And everything always has to, you know, have a cost benefit that have a benefit that's far greater than its cost. Mm. Um, and I think if you isolate particular things for particular people, you can normally make a case. Well, I was in London when that big story broke about, uh, was it Lloyd's Bank? Well, it's on the front page of the Times of London, you know. Lloyd's Bank runs ads in pornographic and terrorist sites, you know. And so suddenly uh, brand safety was the big issue, you know. And then uh, there's all the stories about uh, ad fraud is the uh, second largest criminal activity in the world after, I'm not sure if it's illicit drugs or or human slave trafficking, sex trafficking. You know, you hear these huge stories about all these problems and then someone comes along and goes, I've solved it. They've got their hand up waving, I've solved it. Just pay me to plug in another thing into your programmatic stack and it'll all go away. Yeah, look, there was a lot of things that frightened an awful lot of people, and there, there was so there were so few instances where this happened. You know, people appearing in ISIS videos, and you know, I, it, you kind of wonder whether it ever actually happened, or whether this is just an urban myth with some of these things, because no one can quite remember the exact example um, in many instances of what ran. But what it did is it put the frighteners up CEOs, uh, mm. and you know. And quite have, rightly. The, 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 the marketing person may have got um, a, a sort of a, a request to visit the CEO's office, one, one, and gone there wondering what he's done wrong and, and had to assure the CEO that, you know, these brand safety measures. Um, and brand safety is a term that's only sort of been introduced in the last five years. But Exactly. Um, but that's what I'm saying. It's almost like if you were a conspiracy theorist, Yep. You would say that the ad tech companies actually come up with the problems so they can then sell you the solution. Yeah. In some ways, it, it's almost that, you know, every time ad fraud, brand safety, uh, a, a lack of transparency where the money's going. I mean, even this year, we had the report from ISPAR and PWC, which, you know, um, God help them, you know, doing a manual labor intensive audit of a programmatic supply chain. What a nightmare. Yeah. Because we're talking about 
billions of transactions. And they wonder why there was an awful lot they couldn't find out because uh, through a lack of cooperation. Look, the only way, and there are systems... It took that, two years, yeah. two years for something that was going to take three to six months. The only way you're ever going to get transparency across the digital supply chain with is with automation that goes on, um, is included on everything that a buyer touches on the way through. Um, and that will provide complete transparency. And there are systems now um, that, that can do that. So we're, we're at a stage now of breaking through and there being a genuine opportunity for supply chain transparency. So I think all of the fears around that have the potential to be allayed. Well, yeah, especially when, you know, they really were only looking at the sort of shallow end of the pool. Yeah. in some ways, because they were only looking at the transactions that they could actually audit. You know? well, and so a lot of the too, a lot was put into the too hard basket. Yeah. You know? Almost like uh, auditing private markets uh, rather than the sort of open program. I know they did some open they, programmatic. Their, but their results were that about 50% of the money went back to the media provider and 15% they could find no trace of whatsoever, which is actually 30% of the 50%. Yeah, of the so cost a, of the... A third of the cost that was lost to someone um, across that was completely untraceable. Um, so, you know, there was an awful lot of um, t ticket clipping on the way through that they could find that no one was owning up to. I mean, this was uh, an auditing process through with cooperation from clients and from providers all the way through. Now, yeah. we, we'll get on to your subterranean river of gold, so the yeah. way that the agency saw this as a, a big opportunity in the early days. But what we've got to remember here is that, you know, we're talking about, you know, in most cases from the DSP to the SSP, and this is where the money was lost, right? Yeah. And yet the agency sits on one side of the um, DSP on behalf of the client. Sometimes they own the DSP, but largely they're you know, contracted, contracting them. And then the other side of the SSP is the publisher. So just in that bit, you know, when we talk about transparency, a lot of the conversation is about the agency being transparent. But this is actually the, the supply chain being transparent, isn't it? Yeah. There's, there's an area in the middle where there's an awful lot of people who are touching um, a trade, a buy, um, that both the SS, both the, the seller and the buyer would have absolutely no record of, that no one has specifically identified um, these parties as needing to have a role, but they are just part of this process that takes place where... The, the digital buy gets bounced around uh, amongst uh, a number of these middlemen. Um, and very often uh, it can go, it can get bounced around 10 times in that middle area. Um, and you have to question whether all of those bounce rounds and all of those companies that are clipping the ticket and taking a small amount of money on the way through are actually adding any value. Because almost certainly they aren't all adding value. Yeah. So what we really need is, and, and you, you've said that it's available, is a way of seeing who's clipping the ticket. And if they're not adding value, 
then taking them out of the equation as quickly as possible would be a way of just accelerating what's already happened, which is this consolidation anyway. I mean, the ideal world is the DSP and the SSP and maybe the ad exchange is all that's needed, but there's a lot more players in there than that, isn't well, there? Well, if you have visibility over the path and how it's bouncing around and you measure performance against every buy, then you can see the paths that deliver the best performance and are the most efficient for you. And then you can work your schedules to redirect more of the funds through those paths that are going to be more efficient for you. So having visibility and understanding allows you to control what happens in that middle area, yeah. um, which at the moment, if you're not aware of what's happening, you haven't got the capacity to control it and optimise it. But there's also a whole sort of group of the industry, programmatic industry, not the media industry, that's talking about this ultimate solution, which is having a blockchain so that every single transaction has its unique identifier so that every single transaction will be able to be you know, allocated and, and tracked and that sort of thing. But potentially that's years away, isn't it? Uh, look, the technology isn't there yet. Um, and, I mean, potentially an even bigger problem than the technology is getting buy-in from every party in the industry to adopt the standard, um, a standard system. Um, and, you know, you've got so many um, competitive parties and all levels and areas of that digital supply chain that getting universal agreement on something that provides complete transparency over what they all do is something that will be enormously difficult to achieve. I think the only way in which that will ever be achieved is the people who provide the funds and fuel the entire industry, the advertisers mandate that no one will book anything um, with any party that doesn't conform. And again, that's an awfully big call to get all of the, um, not just the large advertisers, but all of the smaller advertisers as well globally um, aligned to do that? Well, we've got all those ad tech providers that, you know, from Google right through, uh, would all have to actually change their systems to accommodate a unique identifier that is common to the whole uh, ecosystem, to the whole supply chain. Look, I, think, I think we've got more chance of getting cross-media measurement before we've got a chance of getting uh, a unique uh, trading identifier. And you've got major players um, in the marketplace here uh, that would create a far more level playing field of transparency. And you've got players in this that really, um, the large players who are incredibly influential within digital um, don't necessarily want a completely level playing field um, and don't necessarily want complete visibility over everything that's happened. I mean, their behaviours at the moment would suggest there's a lot of things they want to keep close to their chest. Mm. So uh, the likelihood of blockchain technology coming in getting up, being endorsed and and implemented by all parties within the industry to provide market-wide visibility and transparency, that's remote. There are systems, however, at the moment um, that are very new that can provide specific um, levels of transparency for individual advertisers who opt in to buy that. And because they are funding um, their activity, um, can, ha can get the rights to have transparency through on the buys and on the funds they're putting into the marketplace. Mm. And that 
that sort of system, um, well, it's active, it's up and running now. Mm. Um, and that has far more potential to be useful for um, large advertisers and marketers. Well, rather than uh, waiting until uh, you know you get a universal system uh, finally agreed and implemented, which may never happen. I mean, there's a huge sort of debate and a little bit of a fight going on as to what's going to replace the cookie as an identifier at the moment. And there's all sorts of self-interested parties pushing their, their own barrel on this. Yeah. So, you know, they, uh, and there's no agreement on that at this point in time. It's almost uh, proof that uh, the market doesn't regulate itself well. You know, everyone talks about market regulation, but in this case, it's actually led to complexity and obfuscation rather than, you know, the transparency and clarity people need. Let's move on to the final point, because the last, you know, the rivers of gold, the last time that was used was... Uh, for the newspapers, classified sections used to be the rivers of gold. Now they've gone off to all the, uh, uh, the you know, the like the seeks for employment or you know cars for uh, automotive, but now you're talk, calling it subterranean, so it's below the surface. I think the analogy. I drew this analogy because it was a new revenue opportunity for agencies and subterranean because it was hidden from view. Um, and it was something that the agencies kept discreet and the clients had no visibility over. Um, there are a few reasons why clients had no visibility over, and, and P&G, one of the world's largest advertisers, discovered in sort of 2017, they suddenly realised they had no idea how much their agencies globally made from this whole new area. So even the largest advertisers in the world were in mm. the same situation as, you know, um, your everyday advertiser here in Australia. Well, I remember at the time the agencies were saying that to invest in this area of programmatic was a significant investment. And so the holding companies were saying, well, we'll invest to build a programmatic capability and then our different agency brands will be able to use it. That was their justification for setting up programmatic specialist companies. But there was actually a more insidious reason than just having uh, the consolidated investment in one area, wasn't there? Look, I think agencies got badly beaten up in the press over this when everything came to light. They were see, seen as being underhand in terms of the secret commissions and high margins they made. This was brought about um, because clients and procurement people at clients pushed so hard and there was this race to the bottom and everyone had to basically drop their pants, excuse the analogy, drop their pants on remuneration. Um, so agencies' hands were forced to an extent because they had to deliver profitability. And suddenly this new area um, came up um, where they could make more money and clients were really none the wiser. So they happily agreed to very, very low transparent remuneration terms on the basis that we're gonna get digital activity um, particularly in the programmatic era, and be able to make profit and money that way. Some of them then took it a little too far. They kind of got hooked on the uh, on the drug, if you like. Uh, well, there, was well, capacity... I remember, there was one year when the uh, holding companies all had record profits and everyone was going, it must be the programmatic media, yeah. you know, after, after a fairly, you know, average performance, suddenly there was this speak, uh, peak, I think it was around uh, 2014, 2015. Well, until P&G and the ANA expose in the States, it was all sort of going 
um, under the carpet. The subterranean rivers of gold were flowing nicely. Um, and it was only when um, a sort of hole in the rock <laughs> ceiling <laughs> appeared and everyone saw um, the rivers of Madel gold. from uh, Mediacom, yeah, yeah. blew the, the whistleblower. Um, and uh, that that uh, things became um, things became more complex for them, and then a lot of them had a lot of the multinational media companies actually structured their business. They bought into the middlemen supply chains and bought shares in um, some of those uh, companies that were taking a clip on the way through, and had structured their entire companies around separation of trading desks and being able to do these things with no visibility. Um, on what they were doing for the clients. And so it was quite difficult to unwind. It's also, for some of them, um, who had agreed to very, very low transparent terms, if they were suddenly not going to be making money in the same way on the digital, they, in theory, to make the same sort of money, they'd have to go back and revisit remuneration, mm. transparent remuneration terms. Not an easy thing to do, go and say, well, you know, we, we, we're not going to make as much money now here on the digital side, so we want to put up the uh, the fee by 15% next year because we're not making that 15%. You can't have those conversations. So a lot of them were left in a, a quite a precarious situation, which is why um, it took some of them a little longer than others to come to the table. I have to say now, I think all of the agency groups are now um, operating in a far more transparent way. Um, some have very, very transparent contractual terms to which they'll happily agree. Uh, and I think that problem has worked itself through. The agencies got beaten up and very much maligned because of what happened. And, you know, they were to blame in varying degrees. But um, the middlemen escaped any of the wrath of the industry. Um, and, I, and, and Stephen, I think that's one of the things that everyone focused on the agencies but no one was really focusing on the ad tech providers that have actually created that supply chain. You know, and the agencies, to your point, you know, they had some influence. Of course they have some influence. But ultimately they have no way of demanding that people uh, you well, know, do what they need them to do. Well, the agencies were an easy target because they, they were beholden to the advertisers. Yeah. Um, if they had contracts and contracts weren't transparent um, the advertiser was saying well I want now to have transparency you need to tell me what you're making the middlemen nobody even knew because there was no transparency on who was being used in that in the middle of that digital supply chain no one even knew who to to address or who mm. to talk to it it was and until recently has been a sort of a black art and even the PwC report last year, which was run in 2019 into 2020, still couldn't identify 30% mm. of the amount that was lost. So, so yeah, let's just recap then. So, you know, as far as the the, the technology goes and, and the way they communicate it, there's big, big improvements there. And, and the industry is now talking more in plain English and talking about benefits rather than trying to sell their technology. Um, the second area was the, you know, the complexity. You're seeing that simplifying, but you're also seeing huge you know, and significant innovations to bring around transparency to the end-to-end. -end. In fact, you, know, you mentioned that there's 
a platform available that will provide that. And then thirdly, you're largely saying that most of the agencies now have come to the party and either divested themselves or moved back into a position where you know, they're providing transparency and now acting in the best interests of their client. Yeah. Is that a reasonable summation of where we're at today with programmatic? Spot on, Darren. So, so here's the question. Why is it that especially many Australian marketers are still either too scared or put off programmatic to actually wade into that area when there's so much opportunity for them to invest in that area? I think the problem now is what I talked about earlier, which is there's a lot of clients in that middle area who would love to do more but haven't got their own data to a sufficient level of detail and, and a sufficient quality to properly capitalise on the programmatic and okay. digital area. So they, they, they haven't yet aligned their data internally, they haven't yet got their own DMP, they're not yet capable of putting really high quality customer-based data into the marketplace. So that is probably the, the biggest element and factor that's stalling digital and programmatic growth at this point in time. Okay. Look, um, I've just noticed the time and it's been a terrific conversation, but we're, we've got to wrap it up. Thanks, Stephen, for uh, sharing your experiences from programmatic media and now back at Trinity P3. Um, I haven't said this before, but welcome back. <laughs> Thanks, Darren. It's good to be back. One last question. If it was your money, would you put it into programmatic media? Thank you.